Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's going on? How's your weekend going? Or week? <laughs> We're uncharacteristically recording this on Monday night uh, instead of Sunday night. So how how's the start of your week going? Yeah, I feel like I can like meet people where they're at. The week started really well, you know, like day of work, snow is melting. We're down to two feet. I spent the weekend with a lot of really cool people, and so I'm feeling really invigorated by that. I got only a couple complaints, and they might even come out on this episode. How are you doing? Great. Uh, I am in Toronto uh, for the Toronto Biennial for Art. I gave a great workshop with Giselle Diaz uh, that we called Abolition 201, where we were talking about conflict and harm and how they are not the same thing. And it was like... Like I learned a lot from giving the workshop. It was just a really fantastic, deep thinking workshop. So for any of you who were there and participated, thank you for being there and thank you for participating. And also today I'm like, you know, I'm home. I'm in Toronto. I'm eating at one of my favorite restaurants, which is King Cafe in Kensington Market. It's a vegan Chinese place. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out. That's so good. I had no idea that was your favorite restaurant. (laughs) It's one it's of my so favorite good. restaurants. I can't, I don't have a favorite restaurant. That is impossible for me. But it is one of my favorite restaurants. It's very, very good. And, uh, you know, I'm eating there with a friend. And then someone comes up and says, I recognize your voice. I listen to it often. Are you Sandy from Sandy and Nora? And I was like, oh, my God. Whoa. So that was the first time that's happened to me. So for that person, thank you. Sorry if I was a little weird. I was just like thrown off. (laughs) Thank you for coming by and saying hello. And uh, I did, as you asked, tell Nora that you said that this was a great podcast. So there you have it. I'm having a good start to the week. Oh, that's so great. I I had a similar experience like that a couple of years ago, except it was a friend of both of ours who heard our voices and thought, oh my God, are they visiting my neighbor? (laughs) But their neighbor was just (laughs) listening to the pod really loud. (laughs) So it is cool. But I do hope that if you are listening and and we don't know each other and you ever get to meet us, um, I get a lot from people that they're really nervous. (laughs) Like, don't be nervous with us. <laughs> you don't have to be nervous. Just come up, say hi. We'll say hi back. We can talk about stuff. It's really fun that way. And um, we're just pretty normal folks. So don't be nervous. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Feel free to approach and say hello. Um, so I imagine that we have some people to thank today. Yes. We have to say thank you so, so much to the following folks who have donated for the first time or changed their donation to the podcast. So specifically, thank you to Mark, Jess, Ryan, Michelle, Enver, A Different Michelle, Mason, Elizabeth, Erswell Gamer, and Douglas. Thank you so, so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So we've got a lot to talk about Uh, Today, Nora, um, for the first time coming back to Toronto since the pandemic started, I didn't have to test or anything like that. Things are changing. Times, they are a changing. And I think it's having an impact on how the pandemic is going right now. But before we get into that, which we will discuss, okay, before we get into that, 
It's very important for us to discuss the slap. Um, okay, no, it's not very important for us to discuss the slap, but there are a few things that I do want to say that I haven't really seen said in a number of other places. And yes, I know everyone's fucking sick and tired of discussing the slap and hearing everybody's opinions about the slap. And the best opinion about the slap was the person who said that they didn't want to hear any more opinions Mm -hmm. about the slap. But, but, but I do think there are a couple things that would be good to talk to our listeners about that are kind of removed from like the idea of, oh, who is Will Smith a good person? Didn't Chris Rock deserve to be slapped? That sort of bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So before you get into that, I have to just mention, you you said a phrase uh, just before you introduced the slap that you said the times they are changing, which is of course a Bob Dylan song that, um, I don't know if you know this about me, Sandy, but the only time I was ever on TV as a child was singing that song for the Bank of Montreal. Oh my God! And you so sell you out? like just you like just totally delivered me a slap. <laughs> Back to the past. <laughs> <laughs> you were singing for the Bank of Montreal. That is, uh, we didn't you, know. Sort of- Wait, I mean, we didn't know when we were asked to do the commercial, <laughs> and then it was like, "Hey, so it's for the Bank of Montreal," and it was like, "Oh, okay." Well, I mean, um, at the time I was twelve, so it was like. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, Okay, yeah. Well, um, I apologize for slapping you back there. Um, (laughs) uh, But also, maybe it was a good memory at 12 years old, so hopefully it was. Super good. No, it was really nice. Yeah, but let me me just say a couple – will you indulge me in saying a couple things, having a couple couple discussions uh, about this over-talked-about thing? Yes. I, I would never tell you to not talk about such an important issue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what my main takeaway from all of the discussion in the last week, and actually in the last few weeks, is that our society quite dangerously doesn't understand violence as it relates to power. And... That, uh, I think, is a a very, very dangerous position to be in. I think that in a culture where the majority of people just a couple weeks ago were saying, you know, give, give more resources to Ukraine, more weapons to Ukraine, uh, a no-fly zone over Ukraine, is then a couple weeks later saying violence is never the answer. <laughs> it's just like these two extremes, right. these two ideas, you know, one which has people saying, let's give the person leading one side in a war um, the, the Nobel Peace Prize, and the other side saying, uh, this, the other extreme saying that violence is never the answer. It's just... That is not, that is irreconcilable. <laughs> that is irreconcilable unless you understand as well that this society, this culture just doesn't understand violence as it relates to power. And I think that that was so clearly on display in the last few weeks and on display with respect to this slap as well. Do you want to hear my big take? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, as listeners to the show will know, uh, I don't get pop culture at all. 
And so I, I don't really have an opinion on anything that's related to the Oscars because I don't fucking get the Oscars. I don't get what the fuck like that woman host was wearing. I don't get anything about it. <laughs> but I do think it's really interesting because a lot of the, 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 the strong reactions, like regardless of what the reaction was, was coming from the fact that an audience member is not supposed to walk on stage and is definitely not supposed to insert themselves in a show. And, and the way that Will Smith did that was quite spectacular, right? It was, it was shocking. And, um, you know, it just brought me back to like grade 10 drama class. And so I, you know, correct me if this is totally wrong. This is what I learned. So it could be completely wrong. But like the origin of theater was, was when you had the Greek choruses that would always chant together and then one person broke out of the chorus and had a monologue on stage and it was scandalous and it was the first time that people were like wow you can actually have people break out of the greek chorus so i my my theory is that we're going to start seeing more people slapping people on stage uh in, in live on live television really that's your theory <laughs> No, no, not at all. But That's I do a think it's. Weird theory. I, okay. I do think it's amazing how how connected we are to like to a, to ancient times, and and when something is not normal, it's like, oh my god, what is happening? Uh, not to mention, of course, the United States censoring all of that was also just like the 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 the, the chef's kiss. Like we absolutely cannot allow this to be seen. It is off script. Um, but yeah, that's, when that's of course everyone's going to see it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and just to explain what I mean uh, about the, the power dynamics in this particular case, just uh, to, to put just a, a finer point on it, and then and then we will leave it, we promise, is that I saw quite a few hot takes that were um, suggesting that perhaps Will Smith has a domestic violence issue, that, uh, you know, this is akin to... Um, uh, a man who would harm their family and so on. And I just want to say, like, in addition to the weird power dynamics, um, uh, just generally that uh, with respect to violence that our society has been um, expressing of late, uh, that that comparison is another strange misunderstanding of a power dynamic. Uh, the power dynamic that is at play in domestic violence situations is uh, is the power between the person who is being violent in the domestic relationship and expressing their power through their violence. This was a completely different power setup. You have the host, um, the person who is speaking on a stage, elevated on a stage, the one person given the right to speak who has a particular level of power. And somebody else who has another level of power in the world, Will Smith, who is interrupting that other person's level of power on behalf of someone else who has a completely different level of power, uh, who is being um, uh, maligned, who is experiencing um, uh, a type of violence about, um, you know, a, a condition that she has. And so... This is there's a power dynamic here that is not analogous to a domestic violence power dynamic situation. And um, if that feels really complicated, maybe it is. I don't think it's that complicated. But suffice it to say that in order to understand violence and how it is used and when it is used, we need to understand power. Uh, and it is not useful and it is dangerous to not have an understanding 
of power as it relates to violence, because then you might find yourself supporting uh, an organization like uh, NATO, which, uh, you know, uh, is uh, is probably not something that you want to do if you are someone who uh, wants to identify as anti-war or anti-imperialist or understands how the capitalist structure works. I was really hoping you'd go- get back to that NATO point. So good work. Thank you. All I'm here to say is that, <laughs> look, man, if you don't understand power, um, it, it is, you know, power is the thing that drives everything. And it, it is not necessarily bad. Power is not necessarily bad. You know, when we are uh, coming together to organize against, um, you know, uh, colonization, when we're coming together to organize against uh, domestic violence, you know, we are creating power amongst ourselves when we do that. And that's a good thing. And sometimes uh, people around the world have employed violence as part of the way that they use power to confront, you know, state power. Uh, And that might look like, uh, you know, people going out into the streets and breaking windows after the police kill someone in their community. And if you, you know, if your response to a slap uh, at the Oscars is violence is never the answer, it's just like, are you ha, like, wh- where have you been in the last <laughs> couple of years? And where does that place you in the last couple of years, in the last couple of weeks? It's just very, very important wherever you fall on the Oscar, like who cares, right? But it's just very, very important that we all have a consistent understanding of power as it relates to violence, as it relates to, uh, you know, any sort of structural institutional creation, whatever it is. And that is the end of my hot take. But Nora, I will say this. It was fucking bizarre watching my Twitter feed, all the black folks on my Twitter feed have far more of an understanding of power and violence, uh, for sure, I'll say that, uh, than the the conversation that was happening among non-black folks in my Twitter feed. It was one of those moments where you clearly see how um, existing in black skin like gives you a different view of the world (laughs) existing in Mm -hmm. as a person uh, who is coded as whatever race like it gives you a different experience of the world because the conversations that we're having that were being had were wildly different Mm -hmm. yeah I saw the exact same thing Um, and I'm glad that you raised this because I honestly feel like we can make this whole episode on the slap (laughs) like (laughs) You pulled so many important threads out that, I mean, I didn't read many think pieces because I didn't care to, but it it definitely was a a very amazing moment for that to happen at the same time as the world's marching towards war. And Mm -hmm. so I'm really happy that you, that you pulled all all those threads together in such a cohesive way. Thanks. Hey, I live to please you, but not everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that that is a perfect segue into, um, the topic of today or tonight or this morning or whatever you're listening. Uh, oh, is it time for another COVID episode? Uh, I mean, you're the expert here, is it? Yes. I've seen a whole bunch of stuff online that <laughs> I would like, I'd love to hear your reaction to. So the first thing is, is like, there's this disconnection between public health officials who are saying, don't 
take your masks off, you know, keep protecting yourselves, but then also not using their powers to force people to wear masks. So that's like number one. Uh, number two, Sean McAuliffe, uh, the Toronto Star, made this point online, which I thought was really important, which was that you had all these elected officials now at, in Toronto also saying similar things, wear your masks, keep keep your distance, be safe. Only a couple weeks after they voted to undo all of the public health uh, orders. And so he was like, I'm very confused by this. And I imagine everybody is like, what the hell? How are we supposed to trust these people? So it's kind of similar to number one, but, you know, onward number two. Number three, of course, we're in this sixth wave and we have less data than we've ever had in this pandemic. And so that's breaking a lot of people's brains for very good reason. Um, And then number four, I've been seeing a lot of people trying to understand why, why are politicians just not taking it seriously? And it's like, okay, I'm in the twilight zone. Where, what is going on? Where is up? I don't know where the door is. What is happening? Like, it is like, uh, can, can, we have, we, are we seriously back here again? Are we, uh, Sandy, please tell me, tell me, tell me. We're not, we're not doing this again. Are we? We're 100% doing this again. And you know why. Oh, <laughs> no, we you can, we can. You know why. You know what's happening. It is 2022, Nora. It's 2022. <laughs> There's a provincial election happening in Ontario, municipal elections happening all across Ontario. And that, my friend, is having a deep impact on how Ontario is, in particular, is uh, responding in this particular moment. So yeah, the the public health folks might be might know that what they're saying is not the best thing, but there are votes to win. Okay, there are votes <laughs> to win come October, and there's votes to win come even sooner than that for the province. And uh, I think we both know that they don't care about how many people die. We've seen that um, for the past two and a half years quite clearly. Uh, with respect to data, who wants to collect data when the data is going to tell you that you're wrong? I mean, we've seen <laughs> we've seen that over the pandemic as well. It was like, oh God, do we really have to keep collecting this stuff? Can we collect it poorly? Uh, can we give wildly incorrect numbers so much so that we get told multiple times how much we're messing it up? Uh, why would they want to continue to collect that data? Of course not. And so a lot of this is being driven, I believe, uh, by the election cycle, which is really, really, really gross and tells you a lot about um, how elections impact public policy and what people are willing to lose, like human lives, uh, in order to have this short-term gain through an election. Mm -hmm. It's so funny that you talk about how um, you know, when data is going to contradict what you're doing, you don't want to collect it. And and this is from the f- fucking mantra of trust the science, trust the science, follow science, follow the experts, do science. And it's like one of the principal fucking foundations of science is uh, if your data is, um, you know, wrong, contradicting your hypothesis, you're wrong. <laughs> you have to change your hypothesis. This is really basic stuff. Um, and so that's that's very funny. Um, and, you know, you were talking about Ontario, which makes a lot of sense to talk about because, of course, I talked about the Toronto Star. And 
Ontario is the only place where the public health um, decisions at the local level can be enacted easily. I mean, most of the other parts of Canada it requires provincial um, health uh, health authority to make to make decisions of like you know insisting that people wear masks. Of course, in Ontario, public health officials can invoke Section Twenty Two, and they can do actually pretty much whatever they want when it, as it comes to public health measures, which they're not doing right now. So it's like no offense. To any of them who are talking, uh, whether it's the public health director uh, who's on my radio this morning in Peterborough saying, oh, my God, we're doing everything we can. Oh, except for literally the power I have. Or if it's the director from Toronto who's saying the exact same thing. Um, yeah, like no offense, but fu- like f- fuck off, like fuck off. But there's another province that isn't as close to an election as um, Ontario is, but that election, it's like real election season is in the air. Like you can really smell it. Um, and of course, I'm talking about Alberta, uh, where today I can't talk too much more about the details because the, the news is only breaking now. So the news will come out over the rest of the week. But Dr. Verna Yu has been fired from the Alberta Health Services, the AHS, which is managing the pandemic. Um, it is seeming like it's potentially a political decision uh, that she had had opposition to different kinds of privatization within the healthcare system. But again, that information is still forthcoming. Um, and then interestingly, in Quebec, where like a giant part of the fucking government has co- uh, COVID right now, uh, although John Horgan also announced today that he has COVID too. I mean, it's just like in the air, like literally, um, they are not going to drop the mask mandate on April 15th, as they had been promising for the last mm, six weeks, maybe even longer. Um, and, and that's probably because it's just the, the measures are much more popular in Quebec than they are in other parts of Canada. So again, electioneering uh, on the back of uh, public health. What I hate, though, is like the answer to these questions, why is this happening? This, this is very obvious. You just you just answered it very succinctly. But the number of people I'm seeing online, like scratching their heads in words <laughs> so I can read them rather than seeing them scratching their heads and furrowing their brows as they're trying to understand what the hell's going on. There's still a lot of people giving politicians and public health the benefit of the doubt. And yeah. I'm frankly fucking shocked. I'm shocked yeah. by it. Actually, like it's like yeah, one of the few too. things that I'm I'm legitimately shocked by still. I am too. And in fact, you know, um it's here I think is a good idea to talk about what the experience has been in Los Angeles. Uh it, it might be one of those very minor cultural differences that exist between uh, Canada and the United States. So, um, or at least, you know, Los Angeles and uh, certain places in Canada. So uh, the, the mask mandates were dropped in California and were dropped in Los Angeles County. Um, I don't know, about a month and a half ago, maybe. And very similar sort of confusion, people being like, this doesn't seem right. Like, it, it seems like, um, you know, we're hearing about this BA2, like, is this the right moment? And so on. So you know what happened, Nora? The mask mandates were dropped. But I can tell you right now that where I live on my street, there is only one grocery store, I believe, um, that has dropped their specific mask rule. Everywhere else, um, the workers uh, in these, you know, in the in the in the local uh, spots around my place, have said nope. <laughs> They're like they put up their own signs on the on the doors saying um, uh, we protect our workers here, and you still need to wear a mask uh, coming in. 
Um, and that is consistent um, in my neighborhood. And uh, here in Toronto, I'm here in Toronto now, and I, a lot of people are uh, seem to be quite anxious about what's happening with respect to the uh, dropping of the mask mandates. But I haven't seen anything like that here, which I found surprising. People mm-hmm. really are giving the government the benefit of the doubt. It seems as though masks, um, you know, there there aren't many people who seem to be um, uh, masking up in uh, in shops and uh, um, in at places where you might be at more risk. And I was like, wow, what a massive, massive cultural difference. Literally everywhere on my street uh, in L.A., and, um, you know, in the other neighborhood that I frequent, which is where my school is, everyone, all the places that you could go to around are still like, nah, you got to mask up if you want to be here. Because, and, and most of them are making it very clear that this is about protecting their workers. What is that? What is that about Canada? And I'm not, I'm not even sure it's all of Canada. I mean, as I say in Quebec, like there's they drop the mask mandate in the schools and, and at least my kid's school, every single person is still wearing a mask. Like I was actually surprised by it. It's like there's no mask mandate, but everybody is still wearing masks and we're being asked to put on masks when we enter schools. And now we're being greeted by people with masks in case we walk in without one. Um, which, I mean, we weren't even allowed in the school um, between March 2020 and February 2022. We only got, were allowed to get to access inside the school in, in uh, February 2022. So outside of Quebec, it's like, I, I mean, I, I definitely know that there's a huge peer pressure part of this. And it seems really simplistic to say, but like, you know, I was at a convention a couple of weeks ago in Toronto and I was very surprised a lot of people were not wearing masks. Some people were, but there's definitely a feeling that if you're in a space where a lot of people are not wearing masks, you'll take yours off. Like there's, there's a real like unspoken peer pressure, which maybe, maybe is what fueled like the anti-masks so much because they just felt so much pressure to always have to wear masks, although they always did have to wear masks. So maybe that's not, that's not a great parallel but anyway it's just it's like what is, is it cowardice is it that we just follow directions without thinking about it i'm i'm so curious and perplexed by it because at the same time in toronto you know because as i said i was there after the mask mandate was dropped as well at the same time that i was seeing tons of people everywhere without masks and i'm not talking about outside i think you know you don't have to wear your mask outside that's been pretty clearly established um but inside locations at the same time, of course, there is still a mask mandate on the TTC, on the transit system. And of course, there is still a ma- mask mandate on trains and on planes. So it's like, what what is going on here? Like, I, I'm so, I don't know. I'm so confused by this. It's like, it, it just seems like th- there's a cowardice that, you know, at the same time that you don't have, you know, corporations standing up for their workers and saying, you know, you have to walk, if you're going to walk in this law, you're going to wear a freaking mask and we're going to deal with the consequences of the people that refuse. You also have school boards that are like, oh, we can't stand up against the government. Well, they'll, they'll, they'll take our funding away. Like as if they would, as if they'd shut the school down literally because you dis- like disobeyed them. There's there seems to be no one who's willing to stand up to the to, to any of these governments and say, no, no, we're going to do what's right. We're going to wear masks and and fucking fuck you. Like, bring it if you want to fight. Like ah. that was like the least I feel like the least articulate thing I've ever said about COVID, considering how much I fucking have said and written about this. But I'm like literally like, what the fuck, folks? I don't get it. 
Well, because what you're talking about isn't really about COVID. It's about something else <laughs> right. entirely. And I struggle with this too, you know, like I really like to think about things in terms of institutions and systems and power and understanding all of that. And it's hard, this particular piece, because this is not the first time this sort of um, idea of Canadians kind of being complacent and going along with the rules and that being uh, different from other uh, uh, places, uh, at Quebec included. Um, I, and I, I mean, <laughs> stop me if I'm doing too much, but I think that there's something about having a historical understanding of one's culture, whether that's Quebec or the United States of America, as being born in being in opposition to uh, to some op overarching culture, knowing that actually um, they can be wrong and they may be wrong, and it is part of my 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 culture and the accepted culture to resist that, to think critically about it and to resist it. And, and in addition, I know that I'm not going to be shot to death when I do that. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that there is, um, there's something to be said for living in a world uh, where that is the, the, the narrative in which your culture is born and living in a world in which the narrative is, uh, uh, yes, we work for the king and the queen, <laughs> and uh, this is our society. Or, um, you know, you were brought here or your culture was attempted to be destroyed. And every time that there is some sort of resistance, you risk uh, life and limb. You know, like there's there's a massive difference in those two things. And I wonder if that has something to do with it, because to be honest, I can't explain it beyond that, beyond these kind of cultural narratives that we tell ourselves about who we fundamentally are and who we fundamentally can be uh, in Canada, in the United States, in Quebec. When you put it that way, it definitely makes me laugh about the place that Alberta thinks that it occupies in this country and Saskatchewan to a lesser extent, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that they're like actually fighting. Yeah themselves they're fight they're like biting their own tail they're 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 there's actually no oppression on that society because they are born out of the exact same kind of orientation towards power as the rest of Canada was i mean there's perhaps the cowboy wild west kind of spirit but you know as you say there's there is none of that historical opposition to power uh, that is embedded within the cultural institutions of, I mean, if there are any culture, <laughs> sorry, folks in Alberta, but there's none of that embedded in the cultural institutions of the province or in the political institutions of the province. And there's obviously nothing embedded in the economic institutions of the province who, uh, I, I mean, we can should mention this, um, some of them just got caught probably price fixing, you know, the uh -huh. the beef industry <laughs> in That's Alberta, right? right? So mm -hmm. we can maybe make a comment about that in a second. Um, but, you know, wh whenever uh, I think about a culture in Canada, I, I always go to Ontario first because that's where I'm from and that's what I know the most. And I always think of Ontario's motto. Sandy, do you know what that is? Yours to discover? <laughs> no, not the car model. <laughs> Isn't that Ontario's like official motto? No, it's just on a license plate. It's not like Quebec where their official motto is also on the license no, plate. No, dude. No, it's no, not yours it to discover. No, it is their motto. No, no, because they've already changed it. It's already something like fucking Doug Ford rules or something ridiculous. It's already not yours to discover. 
Okay, no, I, I found it. Because <laughs> I, I, obviously, I obviously had to look it up, but I just want to be clear. It is the tourist model, motto. It is not the license plate motto. It's like literally, it's like a tourism thing. That's why, you know, you got those commercials that are like, uh, you know, here's a lake, Ontario, yours to discover, like some like ode to, to colonization, you know, like that's what it is. Uh, okay, but no, I've now found it. Can I read it or are you going to say you it? You can say it. Unless you're going to say it in Latin. Oh, I, I think I should be able to say, say it. Say it in Latin and then I'll translate it. I can't speak Latin. I mean, it's just the same letters as ours. Just read it. <laughs> but I don't know how to pronounce. Okay, fuck. Ut insepit. <laughs> Incipit, I don't know. Uh, ut incepit fidelis sic permanent. Permanent? <laughs> you sound like David fucking Peterson over overseeing a graduation at the University of Toronto where the guy only talks Latin for four hours. <laughs> well, I think I at least just proved that I'm not the annoying type of law student. <laughs> Very good. Okay, so for folks who didn't understand that Latin because it was mal prononcé or you don't speak Latin, <laughs> Ontario's motto is loyal she remains. And I just love that because... Oh, no. No, no, no. no. That's incorrect, Nora. <laughs> okay. That's only half of the motto. Sorry. Loyal she began and loyal she remains. Is that right? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and so, okay, if, I don't know if everyone knows this, right? And and again, sorry for folks in BC who are like, like can you fucking talk about the uh, the climate uh, policy, the, uh, the the new report that just came out, Sandy Nora, this is not that important. I know, but loyal she began and loyal she remains. It it permeates all of the political culture in that province. And it's, it's shared outside of the province too. It's this deep, like conservative, small C conservative waspiness that absorbs other people when they come to the province as well and becomes part of this common, this common spirit. And so trying to trigger revolution or revolt or standing up or convincing someone to walk on stage and slap Scott Moe, it's like, never going to happen or i mean that's the pessimistic take the optimistic take is it'll be very difficult to make happen because of the political culture and we don't talk about this very often no we don't and you know i uh, i i really do think we're onto something here with respect to this i i think that it explains why when there is political corruption or when it's like so obvious and clear that some sort of policy needs to change but politicians are like fully unwilling to do it or every time we get a new liberal scheme that everybody knows is schemy and dumb like uh, it just continues uh, to to happen scheme after scheme after scheme uh, in part, I think it has something to do with, you know, this, um, you know, historical and cultural understanding that, oh, yeah, the monarchy, it's corrupt. <laughs> we know. <laughs> and we support that shit. Like we are, we are, you know, we follow the rules. This is uh, Canada's grand um, claim to to cultures following the rules. And even even things like, you know, the we should have happen in Canada that we know like, that are so popular um, that we don't do until Americans consider it first. It's, it's the same sort of thing. It's like America, our new monarch. Um, things have to happen here before uh, there before they happen here. Like uh, there's this idea that we need to be given permission to do things. And it's really ugly. It holds us back. But with respect, coming back to COVID, it's like, we know that the politicians are doing the wrong thing. We know that they're harming us by not collecting the data. 
we know that they're harming us because they are literally saying the opposite of what they are doing. And no one's up in arms about it. And no one's um, doing it. Well, I shouldn't say no one's up in arms about it. Clearly, people are quite there, especially in the medical community, people are quite upset about it. But people, uh, you know, by and large are uh, taking the government at their word and are not organizing something different for themselves. And it's just 100% not the case in other places. And it's just like, we can do something different. You know, you can act against the government. It is possible. (laughs) It can be done. Yeah. Well, I I like that you said that no one's up in arms against it. And then you kind of backpedaled a little bit because, of course, people are very angry. But that's a that's a phrase that means something. And literally no one is up in arms against it, right? Like, well, no one Nora, is... violence is never the answer. <laughs> right, right. So violence isn't the answer. But I don't know, like the distance between violence and um, a public health unit saying, no, no, we're going to impose masks. There's, that's a huge distance. The distance between um, might violence... And a principal saying, no, no, in our school, you'll be wearing masks. And any student that doesn't want to wear masks, I'm going to have a conversation face to face with every single one of these parents. And I'm going to intimidate them into agreeing to let their child wear a mask. Or I'm going to let their child be intimidated into wearing a mask because no kid wants to be the odd one out anyway, regardless of what their parents are saying. Like there's it's just so incredible. And um, and knowing that this is how politicians have been acting since March 2020. And, you know, we say we're in the sixth wave. And I think that people keep forgetting what the word sixth means and focus far more on the word wave because the word wave is, you know, the most important part of those two words. Sixth means we have gone through this six motherfucking times. Six motherfucking times already. Six times of journalists saying, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, it's so bad. Oh, I think we've peaked. Oh, okay, everything's so great. We can totally relax. Six times of politicians doing the bare minimum, the bare minimum. Oh my God, the healthcare system's going to collapse. Ooh, we got through that. No problem. Six times of deaths peaking, deaths dropping off, ICUs peaking, ICUs dropping off. And in each of those six times, we are doing the literal exact same thing. Now, I mean, for sure, we've got politicians (laughs) that like aren't challenged as much in the same way because the critical voices have been systematically shut out of mainstream media. We talk about that all the time. Everybody fucking knows that who listens to Sandy Nora, I hope. But this idea that we could still be giving them the benefit of the doubt, that we could still be wondering at this point, what is driving these bad decisions? It's like, you want to know what's driving it? It's Canada's beef industry fucking price fixing and that not being actually a big surprise or a problem because Canada's bread industry price fixes as well. And pretty much everything does too. The gas industry also very oddly always changing their prices at the exact same time. Hmm, that's very, very suspect. And we can't even figure out the profits are of a company like Cargill because they're not pro- they're not public. We can figure out the profits of a company like JBS because they are public. They're headquartered in Brazil. They're a massive international company. Doesn't really matter though, because at the end of the day, I mean, you just want to have some beef and oh my God, look at this inflation. Let's read a one millionth story on inflation that never talks about the profit side of the ledger. It's all very, um, uh, like Groundhog Day is not really strong enough to express my emotions on what I feel about this, but it is very like, what is the breaking point to change this? 
How do we change this? And so, and one more thing, actually, I'm also so surprised that nowhere in the narrative is that the old, the whole management strategy of every single government in this country is to look at the hospital capacity that they have and to ride the line at 80% of total capacity, of the extra capacity made for the pandemic, not normal capacity because we're already way above it, of course. And so if that means letting the the virus rip through society because you're still not going to so overburden the, the health system that it's going to collapse, that is literally driving their decision making. That is what it is. There is no surprise. I heard two fucking people on The Current this morning both going, yeah, I don't know what this is about. Why the fuck are you asking them on the air then? <laughs> that is what it's about. And so... What will it take for someone with some motherfucking power in this country to actually say this stuff? Because, I mean, that's not going to be Sandy and I. We're saying this all the fucking time. We're not powerful enough (laughs) to have these kinds of things take notice. What will it take? Who is going to break from the Greek chorus? And overthrow the monarchy. Shoutouts to Jamaica. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 